Now, if you've been following along with us the last few months as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, we're going to take a little bit of a detour. If you've been following along with the little card we passed out in week one, uh, I like to stay on track with those things, but we're going to take just a little bit of a, a detour and add a couple of weeks to this series because I feel like we've kind of been flying through this thing. Kent and I talked about it. It feels like we're having to preach about four sermons per week as with the pace we've been walking through this book, and I don't feel much different today, even though we're only looking at uh, five or six verses here. We have so much here uh, that we really need to focus in on. So we're going to take a step back and slow down just a little bit, add a couple of weeks here, and, and try to dive in a little bit deeper into this final couple of chapters of the book of Ephesians, because there are some things here that we just really don't want to miss. And so as we get in here, and to verses 15 through 21, today we're going to talk about the wise walk. And you notice back in chapter 4, we started talking about this thing of, of the Christian walk. It's a, it's a metaphor for the Christian life. What will it mean for us to live a life that honors Christ? We've been redeemed by His blood. And so what should we look like as the people of God, as His church? We've been bought we've been redeemed we we share in a glorious inheritance in christ and that ought to be more than just pie in the sky by and by it ought to be in the here and now how does that affect how we actually live and so that's what we're going to be looking at today as we get into ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21 if you'd stand with me in honor of god's word this morning we're going to go ahead and read this scripture The Apostle Paul writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you can be seated this morning. And Father, as we're seated together, pray that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit, God, would be our one true teacher this morning. That you would put a guard over my lips, Lord, that I might not speak anything beyond what you would have said, but that I might speak everything that you would have said here in this place this morning. And we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to get right to it this morning. The first thing you see in verses 15 through 17 is Paul gives a word to the wise. Now, if you like following along on your outline on the back of the bulletin, there's going to be plenty of uh, fun filling the blanks this morning. But the first one is a word to the wise. He says that we would walk wisely. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. All throughout the Bible, we find words of wisdom. There's an entire book in the Old Testament that we call Proverbs, which is all about how can we live wisely. Wisdom is the ability to live well. 
And so that's what we're going to look at some this morning is what does it mean in light of the cross, in light of what Christ has done in redeeming us as his people, calling us into himself, what will it mean for us to walk in wisdom? And he doesn't beat around the bush here. He gets right to it. The first thing he says to us in verse 15 is we've got to be careful. We have to walk carefully And it's such a great word for us this morning because in our culture today, it's as if so many, especially in our churches, are just sleepwalking through life. There are potholes at every turn. You flip on your television and you're led astray. You look at your computer and you're led astray. Everywhere in business practices, we see things that are leading people astray into these potholes of life. And the Apostle Paul is saying to us, wake up, just like we heard last week. Wake up, sleepers. It's time to rise up and realize that Christ wants not only to shine on you, but to shine through you. And that requires us to look carefully at our lives and consider several things that I want you to see this morning. Next thing that Paul says is, we need to learn to buy up the time. In verse 16 there he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. In the NIV version it says, make the most of every opportunity. The the Greek here has the idea of redemption, of buying up the time. And I I want to say to us this morning, lest we get the wrong idea, we think we're buying up the time in this culture if we're exceptionally busy. If your calendar is full and you're running from one thing to the next, we feel like we're buying up the time. That's the best use of our time. Let me just say to us this morning, that is not what Paul is teaching. In fact, that would be the exact opposite of what Paul is teaching. He's not saying fill up your calendar so that you can redeem the time. He's not saying fill every minute with busy activity so that you can make sure you're making the most of every moment. Because so much of our busyness, if we're really honest, most of our busyness is we spend our time for ourselves. We spend our time doing what makes us feel good, what makes us the most money, what helps us. But I believe when Paul here is saying to us, redeem the time, buy up the time, he wants us to consider two things. One, it would be redeem the time for your God. He is giving you every breath that you breathe, every moment that you live is a gift from him to be used primarily for his glory and also to be used in serving others, as we'll see before we finish today. Not that we would redeem the time for our own selfish interests, but that we would redeem the time for Him and for others. It's a completely different way of living that I believe would diminish the number of things on our calendar if we would take it seriously. So buy up the time. Be careful, buy up the time. And this third one may sound a little strange, But to bleed Bible, C.H. Spurgeon said that for every believer, when we are cut, when hard times come and suffering comes into our lives, he said, when we're cut as believers, we should bleed Bible. And what he was saying was this, that our lives should be so ingrained in this word that when hard times come, we look to see what God's word is going to say. We should be so ingrained in this word that when good times come, we look to this word to see what it will say to us. 
that day in and day out, we should be a people who are enthralled with the Word of God. You'll see why that's so important as we walk through the rest of this passage today. But I would say to us, the main problem in the American church today is not that we don't have enough resources. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's not that that we don't have enough people to get the work done. The main problem in our churches today is we don't bleed Bible anymore. When we're cut, we bleed personal opinions. When we're cut, we, we bleed the truth that our culture tries to teach us, which so oftentimes diminishes or does away with altogether what this word says. We need to lead, learn to bleed Bible once again, folks. Because in doing so, we will become the agents of change that God has called us to be. I wish we had more time to spend with that this morning. we got a lot to look at. In verse 18... Now that we're getting ready to get into, let's go ahead and read that together. Verse 18, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's where I want to spend the most of our time together this morning here in this verse. John MacArthur says that this is not only the key verse to the book of Ephesians, but he says this is the key verse to the entire New Testament. That to understand this verse rightly will help you to understand what, call, what God is calling us to as followers of Jesus Christ. Primarily the last half. But the first half of the verse is a contrast. Paul says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. This is a contrast that he's trying to help us to see. Well, we've got to understand the negative before we can understand the positive. So Paul gives us a word about wine. Now, we addressed the issue of alcohol a few weeks back, and I want to bring a few more clarifying statements to this issue this morning. But remember, here in this verse, Paul is just using the issue of alcohol as an illustration of a greater truth. But you've got to understand the, great, the illustration before you're going to understand the greater truth. So let me show you a few things. He says, do not get, wine, get drunk with wine, which is debauchery. In the New, New International Version, it says, which leads to debauchery. And we know this is true. Drunkenness leads to debauchery. Now, I know debauchery, it's not a word that we use anymore in our culture very much. But what debauchery means is that it's, it's a host of other sins. That drunkenness leads us to a host of other sins. And we know this is true, right? We know that, that drunkenness leads to a lack of self-control, which results in all manner of things. Uh, at least half of all Traffic fatalities involve some use of alcohol. At least more than half of all violent crimes in our culture today involve the use of alcohol. Alcohol leads to huge uh, cases of sexual immorality in all kinds of various ways. And we, we know this is true, that, that drunkenness leads us to a host of other sins. Like every sin, it always takes you farther than you want to go and keeps you longer than you want to stay. That's the nature of sin. No, nobody goes into it expecting that they're going to have committed adultery, committed murder, committed all these gross sins that we consider the big ones. It starts out perhaps with just one drink. Drunkenness leads to debauchery, but we could go on from there and we could be reminded that the debauchery leads to devastation. We have seen the devastating effects of alcohol all over our society today. The abuse of alcohol is rampant and it causes 
hurt to homes, to individuals, in every area of our society, we see those effects. But it doesn't even stop there that this devastation often leads to death. Let me share a few statistics with you from the World Health Organization. It says that alcohol abuse accounts for nearly 4% of deaths worldwide. That's more than AIDS, more than tuberculosis, and more than violence. Approximately 2.5 million people die each year from alcohol-related causes. The harmful use of alcohol, the World Health Organization tells us, is especially fatal for young people. It is the world's leading risk factor for death among males ages 15 to 59. In our own country, the Center for Disease Control tells us that each year approximately 75,000 Americans die from alcohol abuse-related diseases. About half of those die from alcohol diseases and half of them die from alcohol accidents. So 75,000 deaths, half from disease, half from accidents. And that includes each year about 5,000 young people who die from the use of alcohol. Excessive alcohol consumption is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States after tobacco use and poor eating and exercise habits. We know this is a huge issue, and, I, and I, I've composed a statement here that I want to share with you. As we, as we wrap up an, an idea of how do we as believers in a culture, especially here in Breckenridge County, where this has been such a hot-button issue, and even to the point where it's been almost like the dividing line between good people and bad people. The good people are the ones who avoid alcohol, and, the, and everybody else is the bad people. And that's not what this Bible says, by the way. You need to read what the Word has to say about this issue. And, I, and I've tried to compose a statement that I think sums up where I hope that we would be. I hope that this will be something that we can agree upon. Let me just read this to you. If each one of us were to truly and prayerfully consider this issue of alcohol, and especially whether we would drink it in moderation. We know what the Bible says about drunkenness. That's clear. But the Bible leaves a gray area in terms of whether we would drink in moderation. I believe that the majority, likely even the vast majority, would choose total abstinence from alcohol out of personal conviction, most out of a desire to maintain a strong witness for Christ. However, this must remain a matter of personal conviction and not public compulsion, as alcohol in moderation is a gray area biblically. And some may decide, after careful, prayerful consideration, to drink in moderation. All of us are encouraged to prayerfully consider this issue, to arrive at a strong personal conviction, and to show grace to others who may arrive at a different conclusion. According to Ephesians 5.10, let each one of us discern what pleases the Lord. We're going to leave this issue with a video by a pastor that I greatly respect. His name is John Piper. If you're not familiar with him, he wrote a book called Desiring God. That is one book that I believe every Christian should read. It is a life-changing book, Desiring God by John Piper. And he spoke about this issue better than I could ever hope to, and so I'm going to leave this issue with this video, and then we're going to move on uh, to the bulk of, of Ephesians 5.18. What do you say to people who say drinking is okay because Jesus drank wine? Um, you say, 
think you need to add just a word or two to that sentence. Like, drinking can be okay. Okay? Um, the, the statement, it's okay, may or may not carry in their mind a pattern of life that's healthy. Um, I would say some drinking is definitely not okay. Like, drinking to drunkenness is not okay. That's clear in the Bible. Uh, another one that's not okay is uh, drinking with a person who is manifestly having their conscience wounded and being tempted to draw into something that they just spent uh, six years trying through Teen Challenge and AA to get free from. And now you're drawing them right into what killed them. And it kills millions of people in this culture. It's killing marriages. It's killing jobs. Alcohol is deadly in this culture. Now, I don't, I don't know uh, what or how deadly it was in Jesus' culture. I just, drunkenness was real. Clearly, the Bible condemns it. How real and deadly it was, I don't know. I just know what I'm dealing with when I go to talk at Teen Challenge or when I pray with a man like I did, maybe Joshua's watching after church last Sunday night, he said, when I'm done here, I'm going out and get drunk because I'm done. I think I'm apostate and I'm beyond help and forgiveness and I've been through treatment so many times it's hopeless. And I just know that is so prevalent. People that are cavalier about this thing called alcohol make no sense to me. So I'm just saying, uh, add a word to that sense. <laughs> of, of, of course you can't defend in any absolute way teetotalism from the Bible. It's clear that uh, wine is a blessing in the Bible. If you make the choice, like me, that I'm going to be a teetotaler, it's, it's, it's just not based on the condemnation of the evil of wine, demon rum, blah, blah, blah. That's just not it at all. It's, it's a context in which I live. It's my children and my grandchildren. It's, it's my addictive personality. I, don't even, I can't even buy a pack of gum without going through it in an hour. So just don't... I, I sense a lot of young guys who... Uh, don't want to be legalistic and want to spread their wings and no gospel freedom are just not very realistic about the world in which we live. So that's a little warning and uh, a very caution. And, and I know the pushback would be, would be real strong from a lot of people I admire greatly that I could easily fall into a trap of, of ruling out for everybody what God has given as a precious gift. And so there you have it. And so wherever we find ourselves standing on the issue of, of alcohol and moderation, there's a greater truth here. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. The truth that Paul is wanting to get across to us is in the end of verse 18, which says to us a command, not an option. Uh, th this is not something that we can look at and take it or leave it. As followers of Jesus Christ, the command given to us is be filled with the Spirit. We made the statement several weeks ago, and it's a very important biblical principle that I, you might want to jot down if, if, if you don't already uh, have this one tucked away. 
Whatever fills you controls you. It's a very, very important biblical principle. We, we find this true in so many of our areas of our lives. As a, as a late adolescent, I was a young man who was filled with anger. I had no real reason to be angry. I just was, and that controlled my life. Whatever fills you controls you. For those who are filled with lust, lust controls you. For who, those who are filled with bitterness, bitterness controls you. And we could go on and on and on with the list. Whatever it is that fills you, controls you. Those that are filled with alcohol, that is what is controlling you. And Paul says to us in this short little statement, which could be a summary for believers of the entire New Testament, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's as if Paul is saying, hand him the car keys of your life and let him drive. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your common wisdom. Don't trust in in your neighbor. Don't don't trust in anyone else. Don't even look uh, to your parents, your best friends. Trust in the Holy Spirit. Let him fill you so that he controls your life. This is what God has called you to. That you'd be filled with Him, filled with the fullness of God as we have seen. The Holy Spirit is God. One of the things, most important things you need to understand, we talk about the Holy Spirit. Let us not refer to the Holy Spirit as it, as if He is some impersonal force that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And He comes to indwell us. And so often in our churches, especially in our Baptist churches, we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. This is something I'm convicted over, that we would talk more about the Holy Spirit because He is essential for our living. You cannot cannot do any of the things that you're finding here in the book of Ephesians or anywhere else in the Bible for that matter. You can't do any of it without the Holy Spirit. Trying to do it in and of your own self and your own power will only bring you to frustration and defeat. I can guarantee it because nothing that God has called you to is possible without his power. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, I refer to him as the wind. If you look in Acts chapter 2, you see the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, this powerful scene as all the disciples were gathered there in the upper room. And it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word that's used for the Holy Spirit is the word pneuma, which can refer to wind or breath, but it's, it's the word that refers to the Holy Spirit. And there's this common thing that we see about the Spirit being referenced as the wind. So a word about the wind here. Who is the Holy Spirit, and what role does He play in the lives of God's children? First of all, He's our sealer. You go back to chapter 1 of this book, all these verses that I'm referencing here, you, you can see those and you can go back and look at these in your own time. But it talks about the fact that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that He guarantees for us all the promises of God. And so you read this word and you see God's promises and you might be left with the question, well, how can I know that these promises are true for me? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He is the seal, the guarantee of all the promises of God. Everything that you have in Jesus Christ, believer, is sealed, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then none of God's promises apply to you. 
He is the sealer. Secondly, He is the power giver. Again, everything that God has called us to, every bit of it, even you coming to Jesus for salvation requires the work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't as if one day you just woke up and decided, hey, I think I'm going to become a Christian. Now that may have been your subjective experience, but the Bible teaches so clearly that none of us seek after God. That's what Romans teaches. There's none who seek God, not even one. So it wasn't like one day you woke up and decided, I think I'm going to become a Christian today. Subjectively, it may have seemed that way, but the Bible says that it was God's grace that was drawing you to himself. There's this doctrine called provenient grace, which means the grace that goes before, where before you were even cognizant of God's existence, before you even realized what was going on, from the very beginning, God was drawing you to himself. And you can look back on your life. Many of you can look back and you can share stories about, I didn't even believe in God. I didn't even know that God existed, but I can look back at circumstances in my life and see his hand that he was drawing me he was protecting me he was keeping me even when my life was in reckless abandon and you can hear these testimonies he is the power giver thirdly he is the indweller in ephesians chapter 2 he talks about the fact that we have become a dwelling place for god by the spirit that god The creator of the universe comes to dwell in believers. Now this is a a thought that will blow your mind if you dwell long on it. But that he has come to indwell every one of God's people. Ever since Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in power on the people of God, he has been dwelling in every believer. Notice I said every believer. There are no second-class Christians. There are not some who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. This is no secondary gift that comes later on. The moment that Christ comes in and takes control of your life, God plants the Holy Spirit in you, and He is there to stay. He is there to transform you into the image of Christ. He is there to empower you for all the good works that God has created for you to do. He's also the revealer. Primarily, we see there in Ephesians 3, he is the revealer of the gospel. The reality is, folks, none of us would get the gospel without the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. You would not understand how a Jewish man 2,000 years ago dying on a Roman cross could have any bearing on your life as a 21st century American. But the Holy Spirit imparts to you The wisdom and the knowledge of God helps you to understand the gospel that will save your soul. Without Him, you are lost. And without God and without hope in the world, He's also our intercessor. The Scriptures say that He intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When you pray, understand that apart from the Holy Spirit, your words will not get past the ceiling. There is no power in prayer apart from the Holy Spirit. 
And that's so important for us because if we are only living in a place where our prayers are motivated and empowered by our own selves, how maybe how good we've been, or God, you, you owe me because I did this for you or that for you, it's not that at all. That our, power, our prayers are empowered by our intercessor, that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Every prayer that you have prayed has been translated through the lips of the Holy Spirit into the ear of your Father God. Without him, no prayer is answered. He's also our truth defender. We're going to see this when we get. I'm so excited about getting to Ephesians chapter 6 here in about four weeks and seeing, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit defending truth. It says that he is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That everything the Holy Spirit says in our lives is based upon the truth of God's Word. And so you can know this, that when you pray, not only is the Holy Spirit interceding for you, but you can be guaranteed that you will never receive an answer to prayer that runs contrary to this Word. Now, you may not see the significance of that statement, but I encourage you to dwell on that thought. Because there have been so many who have come to erroneous answers to supposed prayers god leading god led me to do such and such or so and so and it has nothing at all to do with what the truth of god's word says people have gone off the deep end spiritually because they've run after emotional spiritual experiences that were totally devoid of the truth of god's word This word keeps us on the narrow path and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He is the truth defender. And Paul says here, be filled with the Spirit. But it begs the question, how will I know if I'm filled with the Spirit? Is this just some kind of ecstatic religious experience? Is it all about this grand emotionalism that I just feel like I'm filled with the Spirit? Or is there something more to Paul's command? Let's look at it in the last three verses. I want to give you a word on the wind. What is success in the Christian life? What will it look like if we become the kind of people who are daily being filled with the Spirit? By the way, that word filled, the the Greek tense there is in the present tense, which means this is to be a continuous action. It's not like we go get filled and then that's that's, that's the end. I'm done. I got filled with the Spirit, now I'm good to go. No, it's continual action in your life, child of God. Just like you would put gas in your gas tank, just like you would put food in your belly. It's continual action that you must do. Be filled. Keep being filled with the Spirit. Well, what does it look like? Well, first of all, Spirit-filled believers are worshipful. Look at verse 19. This verse has been used to justify all kinds of worship wars. That's not all what Paul is talking about. But he says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. How will you know if you're filled with the Spirit? There's a song in your heart. You may not be able to sing a lick 
It doesn't matter. There is a song in your heart. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will wake up in the morning and there will be a God-exalting song in your heart. I don't care about your musical background, your expertise, whether you know what those notes on the page mean. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. The Holy Spirit creates in the people of God a song. He causes us to make melody in our hearts. And this is a corporate experience. Notice what he says, that we do this with one another. That's what we're doing here this morning. When we come together, this is not just something that we do because we, this is what the church does. We just get together on Sunday mornings. We would rather be out in the tree stand hunting deer. But we're here this morning on low attendance Sunday because that's just what we do. So much more than that. When we gather together for worship, We are seeking to be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we worship the God who fills us. But it doesn't stop there. This worship turns into thanksgiving because Spirit-filled believers are thankful. Look at what he says there in the next verse, verse 20. He says, "...and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." Christ. So when has Paul given us an out for not being thankful? Look at the verse again. Giving thanks always. So at what time of day can you not be thankful? He doesn't give you any leeway there. Giving thanks always and for everything. So for what circumstance can you not exist in a spirit of thankfulness? So does that mean that we're to be these crazy Christians who, when we get the diagnosis of cancer, we go, God, thank you that I have cancer. That's not what Paul's teaching. That's called lunacy. He's not saying that we would be thankful for every circumstance. He is saying be thankful in every circumstance because you have something greater on the day when you get that diagnosis, on the day when you experience that disaster, on the darkest of days, you can still look to your Father who bought you with the blood of His one and only Son at an old rugged cross, and you can say, God, I am thankful. That's what keeps you going during the darkest of days when the world is falling apart and nothing seems to fit anymore. Being reminded of the gospel that saved your soul, that trumps everything else, that's greater than every other circumstance. So you can be thankful always and for everything. Finally, this morning, spirit-filled believers, this is the one we don't like submissive to one another this verse 21 is going to be unpacked through the rest of this book we're going to come back to this verse several times over the next few weeks as we begin to look at what this verse has to say about our family relationships and our relationships right here in the body of christ our relationships at home in the church and our workplaces we're going to see this has come uh, comes back to this time and time and time again and this word submission has gotten a really bad rap in our culture Let me say what this word is not saying. This, is, this word is not saying that you're called to be some kind of a doormat for everybody else to walk on. 
In fact, the word in the Greek is a very powerful word that comes out of a military context. And what it literally means is that you would rank yourself properly. Being in the military, every person in the military must understand their rank. They must know at what level they exist and they must order themselves properly under their commanding officers. If not, the military falls apart, isn't that right? And truly, if we look at every institution that we experience in the church, in the home, in our workplaces, if we don't order ourselves properly, there's chaos. And our God is not a God of chaos. And so He has called us as believers to live a submissive life, not being a doormat, but ordering yourself properly in light of who you are in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working and living in you. And so he's going to say in this next section, Wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord. Beginning of chapter 6, he's going to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. A little farther after that, he begins to talk about our workplaces and talking to those of us who are employed, saying, Submit to your employers in the Lord. Within the heart of blood-bought Christians, there is the Holy Spirit that is calling us to worship and thankfulness and submission. Philippians 2 puts it so beautifully when it talks about our Lord Jesus Christ and said that He didn't consider His equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, but instead He took the very nature of a servant and became obedient even to the point of the death on the cross. And he's our model. To where in Philippians 2, it says to each of us that we would look not only to our own interests, but we would look to the interests of others. We would begin to live our lives for the sake of others. We would begin to look and walk carefully out of a thought, not just for my own well-being, but for my brothers and sisters. That we would begin to buy up the time, not just for what I can get out of it, but for what I can give in that time to others. That all of these things that we're looking at here in this paragraph, that every one of them would be understood in light of a God who has called you to give up yourself. And wow, our culture really loves a statement like that. In an American culture, we're, we're called to put ourselves first at every turn. The Bible says, put yourself last. Put God first, put others second, and put yourself last. And we live in a culture that says, flip that up right side upside down, do the exact opposite, put yourself first, put others second, and put God way down the line somewhere. Do you see it? Do you see it, believers, how differently we would be if we would live according to this? But the reality of the matter is, in and of ourselves, we are completely incapable of living according to this. You will not submit to others apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You will not live in true, heartfelt thankfulness apart from the Holy Spirit's work 
in your life. You will not really worship apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And that is why the command to be filled with the Spirit is so crucial. I encourage you, take it home. Meditate on that command. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I'm just going to give you a few practical things this morning to lead us out of here today. And we're actually, believe it or not, going to get out early. Somebody's going to give me an amen on that, I know. So it's really not complicated, folks. You don't have to spend your life going after some esoteric, emotional, religious experience. That's not what Jesus saved you for and called you to. It's as simple as this. You want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit? Here's what it looks like. You go home today. I want you to take your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, see me after the service and I will get you one to take home with you. And here's, here's your homework for the week. Here's how you're going to be filled with the Spirit. Get your copy of God's Word and I want you to set it on your nightstand. And tomorrow morning when that hideous alarm clock goes off and, wait and disrupts your dreams, I want you to first shut off the stupid alarm clock and then I want you to take hold of God's Word. And over your mini wheats or whatever you're eating in the morning, I want you to open up this Bible and I want you to prayerfully ask God, Lord, would you show me something in your word that I can walk in obedience to today? You want to know a good place to start? Psalm 1. Start there. Psalm 1. You can jot that down. It's a great place to start talking about how to walk in wisdom. And here's, here's, your, here's your homework. If you want to walk in obedience to the command to be filled with the Spirit, you put this Bible by your nightstand, you pick it up off the nightstand tomorrow morning, you read Psalm 1 or wherever you might be, and you pray and ask God, God, help me to walk in obedience to what I've read today. Would you remind me of this word throughout the day? Would you help me to courageously be obedient to you? That is being filled with the Spirit regardless of your emotional experience, regardless of, of some ecstatic spiritual experience that you might have. It is being filled with the Spirit when God's people look to God's Word and pray by God's Spirit that we might walk in obedience to these things. Because the reality is, folks, when God's Word says to you in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, and you've got that guy in the cubicle next to you at work that gets on your ever-loving last nerve, you need that Word. When you've got that broken relationship and the Word of God says to you, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, you need that Word. And you need God's Spirit to put that Word to work in your life. So you want to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means you wake up in the morning, you grab your Bible, and you prayerfully ask God to show you something that you can walk in obedience to that day. And then Tuesday morning, you grab that Bible and you open it up and you ask God to show you something that you can walk in obedience to that day. And then Wednesday morning, you grab that Bible and you open it up and you ask God to show you something you can walk in obedience to that day and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And guess what? Next Sunday, you're going to come back here and guess what I'm going to be preaching? This Word. And you do it day in and day out. And as God begins to radically transform your life, you find that you are filled with the Spirit. Because whatever fills you controls you. 
And you now find yourself living a life that's no longer bent on personal gain and selfish desires. But that's aimed at the glory of God and the good of others. Over time you find yourself radically different, not because you had some huge aha moment, but because as God has sanctified you with the word of truth and the spirit dwelling in you, he's put everything here before you that you need. You don't have to go looking for something else. It's all here. He's given you all the tools. But you've got to put them into practice. So as we leave out today, as we leave out today, here's your challenge. We're not going to sing a song. We're not going to have a big response and invitation time. I know that that's unusual. You just have to get over it this morning. Here's your homework. And I'm dead serious. When you go home today, take your copy of God's Word and you sit on your nightstand. And when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you're going to do? Shut off the alarm first. You miss that part. Shut off the alarm first so you don't disturb your spouse. And you grab your copy of, your, of the Word and you open it up and you ask God. I'm not asking, I'm not asking you for hours of prayer. It, your prayer can be as simple as this. God, I want to walk in obedience to your word today. So show me what I need and help me to do it. Folks, the Christian life was never meant to be complicated. We are the ones who complicate it. So your challenge this week, open the word of God. By the Spirit of God living in you, pray that God would help you to walk in obedience. And if God shows you the hardest thing that you've ever had to do, then pray hard and go do it. If it seems like some small little thing, well, does that really matter? It matters. Pray hard and go do it. And folks, when we start living according to this word, we start seeing the feeling of the Spirit changing our lives. We start seeing the feeling of the Spirit changing our lives, and we start to see God using us in the lives of others. The greatest problem in the church today is not that we don't have enough resources or enough people or enough programs. The greatest problem in the church today is that we are a people who are not being filled with the Spirit. But you can change that today. I'm praying that God's going to raise up a church here, right here in the middle of this cornfield that's filled with the Spirit because we're devoted to this Word. We're walking in obedience to this Word. We're doing the hard things because God said for us to do it and we're living courageously because the power giver is already dwelling in us. And so I'm going to pray for us today, and we're going to be dismissed. But I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you by the Word of God. Be filled with the Spirit. So, Father God, help us. Above and beyond everything else, God, help us tomorrow morning to arise ready to meet you in your Word. And throughout the day, God, would you remind us of what we have read and call us back time and time again to walking in obedience to it. Whether it be Psalm 1 or wherever we, we may find ourselves, God, would you call us out 
Lord, you know us. You know our propensity to sleepwalk through this life. And we don't want to stay there. Lord, will you show us what it truly means to be filled with the Spirit. That we might live for your glory and for the good of those you would bring across our path as we walk with you. And we make this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out this morning, two things. Sign up sheets for the Thanksgiving meal. If you've not signed up for our meal next week, I really want everybody here. So please, next, next Sunday night, 5 to 7 is our Thanksgiving meal. We want to have enough turkey, so we need your name and the number of folks coming with you on one of the two sign-up sheets on the clipboards on either side of the doorway. Other than that, bless the Lord, let's be dismissed.